0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here at INC Live for the UFC 299 preview show. My name is Carl Bimridge and I am joined by the man on the right hand side of my screen. He is the James Hunt to my Murray Walker. He's my friend and yours. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us.
1: I'm glad to be here. Uh, I know you don't drink anymore, but I'm really pumped to be the Bobby Roode to your, or Robert Roode as he was known, to your James Storm. Beer. Money. <laughs> You've been watching the uh, OSW um, TNA episode, I guess. Yeah, I literally just watched it. Like, I had it on in the background while I was like scrambling to get off work.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, well, thank you very much for joining us here on INC Live. It
0: has been a very busy week for myself and Joel, but we finally got ourselves the time to record the UFC 299 preview show, arguably one of the most stacked cards that the UFC have put on for a long, long time and hopefully... The kickstart for what has been a pretty lackluster 2024 so far, Joe?
1: It's been pretty rough. Uh, I mean, like, no spoilers because it's in another video, but uh, the card last night, I, I, I told you before, I, 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 if it wasn't for the fact that I took notes, I wouldn't have known anything that happened on that main card, I think. I think I would have already forgot it.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was the Urseg knockout, and then everything after that was just... Dire.
1: Yeah, I, I watched it all. I watched it all live and I just went, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. You will be going into a lot more detail about that card when your preview show, which should be online by now, uh, goes online and you'll be talking about the main main event itself and some of the sort of questions that have stemmed from that fight card. I do have one mm. to bring up with you, though, because I'm sure you're going to go into a lot more detail about this. And it's one which has got a lot more complex after last night. Of course, Alexander Pantoja is scheduled to headline UFC 301 in Brazil.
1: Who is fighting him for that belt? Well, we, we talked yesterday how cool it would be if Horiguchi was. That would be super cool. I don't think it's happening, though. Uh, as, as we discussed, it's not only Ryzen that has to okay it, but Bellator or... PFL now and PFL I think is the more I've thought about that PFL is making like a serious run at being the number two I mean they are the number two currently because it's not Bellator Um, they are Bellator at the same time but Ryzen really wants to be like that you know that big competitor which I hope they get to or not Ryzen PFL does Uh, I I hope PFL does get to that point but mm, it's probably going to be it's probably going to be Roy Bell, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm leaning that way as
0: well. I think that it was quite divided on... Because I saw a lot of polls asking this question. I know that John Anik um, uh, ran it on his podcast. And before last night, uh, there was a lot of momentum for Makayev to get that title shot. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because people like Makayev or find his style entertaining, but because they were a little bit bored of seeing the same faces at the top of the division. Yeah. But... After last night, and seeing Mikhaev stink up the joint against Alex Perez, I think mean, there's a lot of people realising, we don't want any of this. So I think Royval is the frontrunner. Like, honestly, after last night, I would rather give Steve Ursek the title shot over Mikhaev.
1: That sounds way more fun. Yeah. You know, yeah, Steve Ursek, because, you know, he got power, he can do something. And Mikhaev would, like... You know, we have that joke in um, the first Tito and Chuck fight where we go, third fight didn't happen, and you have, like, Men in Black, Neutralizer. Uh, Mikhaev, like, right after that fight, he would just walk up and Pew! I forgot what happened in that fight. I guess Pantoja's still champ? Okay. Because it would be just so boring. Like, he's so boring. Yeah. And what sucks is his UFC debut is so electric. In fairness, the card that he was on was pretty fantastic. It was one of the better ones.
0: Uh, I think that was your uh, first um, card, wasn't it?
1: Oh yeah, that's one reason why I always bring it up. I always bring it up so I can kind of go. Oh. Speaking of, we are. I think. I think this. I think it was March. So I am coming up on my two-year anniversary actually. Yeah.
0: And you've been a great
1: uh, addition to the family as well, Joe. I think the two-year anniversary gift is cash. <laughs> I think that's the traditional one i don't i don't really know uh <laughs> just kidding we have different anniversaries here in the uk that's my excuse ah oh, yeah you know i think have i finally broken free of my debt no okay <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> but um yeah uh i mean his his debut is fantastic and then just woo, like, just because he's, he's so boring yeah i thought he was gonna be awesome but yep. i think i read a stat that the more strikes he's fraud in a
0: ufc fight over 15 minutes is 29
1: I, I, I don't know how to answer, like, respond to that. <sighs> wow. Bilal Muhammad, I, mean, I apologize. Yes. Like, like, Jesus, man.
0: Yeah. So we can talk like, about that in a lot know, more detail. I'm sure you covered it as well when you did your recap show, which should be online by now. Um, for now, though. I think it was after the crime. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awful card. It was an awful card. Oh.
1: <sighs> It was horrible,
0: (laughs) but fingers crossed though, UFC 299, it does turn things around for us because there's a lot on paper where it should be satisfying a lot of casual fans, a lot of hardcore fans, and it's safe to say as well, you look at the main card, and you even go down to the prelims, we have got a lot of talent there. This is a stacked show. My question though is, why do you think that is? Because I'm seeing a lot of theories going around. Uh, Number one is that, obviously, we're coming down to a landmark event. UFC 300 Mm. is just around the corner. The UFC are doing the same thing that they did back in 2016 and loading up the shows before then to really build up anticipation for this landmark event. The second one is maybe the more cynical choice, which is the UFC have a guy in Sean O'Malley who they are desperate to push as the next big superstar and are loading the show to try and prop him up. And the third one is, again, another cynical choice. This card is happening the same week as Anthony Joshua versus Francis Ngannou. Is this Dana trying to distract
1: from, basically, his villain of the month? As, as funny as that last one might be, I think that's just a coincidence. I think that's a happy one for Dana, because this card, I think, was stacked, or they were starting to build this card already. Um, before they jo, Anthony Joshua and uh, Nganu signed on the dotted line. Um, that said, I, I kind of feel like it's the one where it's like, oh, they're trying to build up towards this landmark event of UFC 300. Uh, and then, of course, with the 300s booking, they went, uh we put all our best stuff on 299 by accident. <laughs> like, what do we do? uh, uh because I think two ninety nine hundred dollars almost. Yeah. I think that's a, a fact, that, or not a fact, a, an opinion a lot of people share. I am. Um,
0: I want to try and go into a bit more detail regards to um, the second option, which is the sort of O'Malley-centric approach. Sean Maddie? Because... I want to believe that, but I don't know. Because I have seen a lot of people, because the thing is, the people who are critical of the UFC for, say, stacking the card to favour Sean... And I'm seeing a lot of the mm. Sean O'Malley fans who are sort of snapping back saying, no, it's a sign of Sean's star power that the UFC wanting to try and associate all these other fighters with him. Like, if you're one of the Sean O'Malley critics, and personally I put myself as one of them, this is what the UFC should be doing. If you have a champion that needs help, give them the strong card to help them out. I feel the same way about other guys that maybe need propping up a bit. Like, DDP maybe needs a little bit of help. Leon needs a bit of help. That's just a UFC business 101 that they try to... It's not particularly singling out Sean O'Malley. But also, if you're a Sean defender, like, there's nothing wrong with admitting that your guy needs help. You can still be a Sean O'Malley fan even if the majority of the public don't feel the same way. You're not a bad person for that.
1: I I think the problem with the reason Sean O'Malley fans may have a little bit of an issue with that is, uh, and I want to stress, I am a massive Sean O'Malley critic, but uh, I, I think a lot of it is a lot of their kind of, like, I'm trying to think of the word, like, their motif and things that they say uh, to justify Sean O'Malley's very, uh, like, arrogant and spoiled kind of persona. Facade. Facade. Yeah, it's definitely a facade. Uh, Cause Cheeto Vera broke it the first time. Oh, oh it was so sweet. I have, to, I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, but, um, no, uh, is the reason like they do it is because they go, well, he's a star. Stars can do that, you know. It, it's kind of that's how they justify their their fandom of like someone who can do that. It's like, well, he's a star. Stars do that. It's like, okay, well, if he's a star, how come Sean Strickland's pulling in better pay per view numbers? on worse cards and he's also getting more views anywhere like that guy made himself a star yeah. how come sean o'malley who's been you know, doing this isn't it like and that like i think i feel like that kind of offends their fandom in a weird way uh i i, I think they're probably helping him out but at the, at the same time I don't. I feel like there's just a lot of factors that really helped out Sean O'Malley here, uh, but I, I do think it's just, I, I do think it's funny that people go, "Well, no, it's because he's a star." I'm pretty sure the Aljo Sean O'Malley card didn't do well, which is weird because I remember that card being good. I think, but three hundred thousand buys. <sighs> middle of great. the road. Like if you're a star, yeah, that's average. And and, and in fairness. I will say, to play devil's advocate here and be fair. Algernon Sterling wasn't a star. As much as he should have been. Like he Aljo should have been a star, but the first Piotr Jan fight kind of ruined any chance of that happening without him being just the biggest heel. And um Shaw, Sean O'Malley wasn't gonna wasn't gonna help out that though the buy rate numbers. But if you're like, you know, middle of the road buy rate numbers but why is, like, Sean Strickland just generating tons more views than him on anything? Mostly because it was the upset. That's him upsetting Adesanya. No one, you and me, who try and be as professional and as fair to any crazy lopsided fight we have to discuss. We were even kind of like, wow, he did it? Like, oh. <laughs> um, So, uh. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the big thing is... It, it's kind of a running joke between me and my friend who playfully pretends to be a Sean O'Malley friend. He he isn't a Sean O'Malley fan, but he'll joke about it. And the, the running thing is, well, he's a star. That's why they put all these people with him. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like So I've never actually realized that that is a, a legitimate thing people will say. is, uh, Well, he's such a star. They're putting all these people with him. And I'm like, I... Uh, it's like in professional wrestling, you know. In professional wrestling, if you want someone to get over, you have someone lose to them to give them the rub, or at least you look valiant against them to give them the like the rub to make them legitimized. You really can't do that in a fight because it the it, it's not they're not uh, predetermined. I guess it was you know the fights aren't predetermined. The best way you can give someone the rub is by putting them on like. We talk about it on international fight week if they like you you're on that card um that's their rub or what they should have been doing but they're you know they want to just squeeze money out is they should have been putting good cards underneath connor yeah. this whole time because then it's like people are casual fans are going to tune in to see Connor mcgregor fight and then they're maybe they're going to find out who a benoit saint denis is like you know coming up Or maybe they'll be like, wow, that push kick to a double leg was pretty sweet. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that because it's
0: time for us to talk about the prelims. You can see those on your screen right now. Um, As mentioned before, we have a lot of big names appearing on this undercard here. And you touched on it there. We're going to be talking about the prelim headliner. And we're going to start with this big pressing question. Will Saturday be the night... Teep kick, the double leg, finally gets figured out. Jilton Almeida is going to be taking on Curtis Blades. Uh, These two were supposed to fight in Brazil last year. Uh, Blades had to pull out. Derek Lewis took his place. And Jilton put on, arguably, one of the most boring heavyweight main events of all time. So, Jilton was calling for a big match. I think he actually called out Aspinall. He wanted that interim title fight. But the UFC said, stuff that, we're rescheduling the Curtis
1: Blades fight. I, I think we are gonna figure it out. Figure out that it's the greatest tactic <laughs> in MMA history. Um, no, I, I think it's all jokes aside. As much as I, the sick part of my brain kind of wants it to work again, but I don't think it is. I, I think the the, you know, the professional in me, want is going no. they're you know, the analyst I, I should say, uh, Curtis Blade stops this, stops this whole streak because. The striking of Yelton Almeida is horrendous. Um, His top game control is incredible, but no, I think he puts... Unless he comes out guns blazing, you know, like just overextends and then gets taken out, I don't see
0: it happening. Because the big intrigue around this fight is that a lot of the people that Yelton has been beating don't have that grappling base. A lot of them have been that sort of Fat boy brawlers that you normally find in the sort of <laughs> low reaches of the uh, top fifteen. Curtis has that grappling base, and he's a big, he's a big heavyweight as well. I think he walks in around about sort of two fifty. He looks just like action. He does Hank. look like Action
1: so, Hank. <laughs> yeah, like he might have been the the inspiration actually. So
0: the question's going to be: Hey,
1: in theory,
0: Curtis Blades is going to stuff the takedown attempts. And force Jilton to stand with him. Then we're going to see what happens. And it's an intriguing thought. I think it's Curtis Blades' fight to lose. But Curtis has burnt me a lot of times. I've had a lot of faith in him on multiple occasions. And he ends up being, letting me down.
1: He has burnt me a lot. Uh, I thought, you know, he could probably... Ninganu like, looks ruined. He He should get that win. No, he didn't. He got KO'd. Caught. Great, awesome, you know stuff like that. Like, he got you know blasted in the rematch of that fight. Then it wasn't Volkov. Uh, Derek Lewis. Um, Derek Lewis. Oh man, that is a that was a that's a good memory for me. Admittingly, because uh, I was on a date because I didn't want to watch that. I was like, God, oh, Derek Curtis Blades is gonna win, but it won't be fun to watch. And then as soon as the date's like ending, I get a text of like. You gotta see this KO, and I, I showed me in my date, and we were laughing. We we're like, "Oh my god, that's so brutal!" Oh. Um, yeah, he's burnt me a lot. Uh, like, oh, I thought he was gonna beat up um, Pavlovich. I thought, oh, he might just take Pavlovich down if Pavlovich KOs him, though. That, that that's that's the guy, and Pavlovich did. Is there an outside
0: chance of because we don't know what's happening with um, John Stepen and Tom yet. If the UFC mm-hmm. do sort of bullheadedly try and go ahead with John versus Stipe, could we possibly be looking at the winner of this fighting Tom for the interim belt? Because Blades has the history with Tom, because Tom had that injury very early on in that fight. And then, of course, Yelton, you've got this big winning streak.
1: I think with Yilton, probably most likely. Which, if Yelton wins without the teap kick into double leg which is what we want like as much as we make fun of that we just want to see him win with something else admittingly um it's just kind of boring seeing him just do the same like he can't keep getting away with it um but if he if he wins without that teap kick and double leg then he's probably getting a title shot and uh as funny as it sounds. Putting him against Tom Aspinall feels a little cruel. I still don't feel like he's ready, but I I feel like they would put him up against Tom Aspinall. But then again, I want to stress, I don't know if anybody's ready for Tom Aspinall right now. It's just... What a, what a daunting task. Like, what he did to Pavlovich really walked me to how good he actually is. Because I picked Pavlovich to win that one. I think I did, too. I, I can't remember, but I, I remember being so torn... But I think I was leaning Pavlovich.
0: Um, other fights yeah. on the uh, prelims as well. That uh, of not, um, this one is not getting any focus at all. Gamrot versus Dosanios
1: blows my mind. That's on the prelims because Matush Gamrot got screwed out of a title fight in his last in the last time he was in the news. And it's like, well, you were the you were the backup guy, but you're only backup if we decide let's, get, let's bring in Volkanovski. Like, I kind of wanted to see, especially in hindsight, with how that fight that turned out, but I kind of wanted to see uh, Islam versus Gamrot. Because Gamrot's a hell of a good scrambler. Yeah, and he's quick. He is so quick. So it was like, man, I kind of wanted to see that. But uh, against RDA, I love RDA. RDA, first ballot Hall of Famer because of his tenure and his track record and legacy in the cage because he's a guy that's like, oh, he can do almost anything. Um, but RDA, funny enough, always struggles, I feel like, with against wrestlers. So, Gamron might be able to just take him down to control a little bit.
0: Any other fight on the prelim um, that you're keeping an eye
1: out for? I've got a the feeling there's one in particular. Well, let's get let's get the funny one out of the way. Because um, there's three I can I, I see. There's uh, my girl, Macy Barber. And it was pretty funny when I was making the notes for this a couple days ago uh, for... Because uh, I saw Caitlyn uh, Sermonara, and I went, who is that? <laughs> I was so confused, and then I clicked on the name, and I went, oh, it's Chukagian. Oh, this fight's not going to be very good. Because Caitlyn Chukagian, I feel like, struggles to be in a good fight. Um, outside of, funny enough, I mean, Oh, the Hebus got a really good fight out of it. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. But, you know, Macy Barber... She's very salty because she thinks she beat Alexa Grosso. She, I, in, in all fairness, no jokes aside, she didn't. I thought it was a pretty clear. I think she beat win. the air around um, Alexa Grosso. Yeah, she jabbed up her name around her. Um, Casey Barber is so frustratingly above average and it just annoys me. But then she smiles and I go, What, what was I talking about? Um, no, but. Um, she is she's in my my my, uh, bo- uh, my boys and gal stable she is my she is my gal because i don't think she's ever going to get that title shot um i think something will happen uh to stop her but this could be it um because caitlin chukagian or Suminara. Uh, i probably should start changing it because i guess she got married um she's She's a pretty good gatekeeper for the division, like if not the best ever for women's flyweight. So there's that. Uh, Pedro Munoz, Kyler Phillips should be a lot of fun. Kyler Phillips, the guy who attacks your chin until he has no cardio left against the unbreakable chin of Pedro Munoz. Um, sounds pretty funny. Kyler Phillips, if anyone doesn't know, also has the exact personality of a guy who has long hair and wears sunglasses inside would have um and it's really funny to watch as like just because he's such a like he's like a funny and kind of cool but still a douche like it's kind of fun kyler phillips is like a lot of fun um he's not a guy he's a guy you like hanging out with just to watch him say stuff but you don't want to spend one-on-one time with him but the big one for me that it's on the early prelims is Michelle Pajeda at middleweight. Like, I'm, I'm excited for Michelle Pajeda at middleweight. Yeah, because
0: that's an interesting booking for me because that was originally, like, I believe he was supposed to be on the main card against Wonderboy, and then that mm-hmm. fight fell through. Pereira was forced to move up to middleweight, and he's gone from a big marquee event. On the main card of, I think it was 291. And now he's on the fight pass premium. Yeah. So he burned a lot of people by uh, missing weight for that fight, I feel.
1: It's, it's sad. But because uh, he was actually getting there, like towards the top 10, top five of welterweight. Um, hopefully, his cardio issues are gone at middleweight and his power stays. A um, couple of names for me that stand out, um, I would keep
0: an eye on, I hope I pronounced his name right, Rebelis de Spagna. Um he is making mm-hmm. his USC debut, he was a medalist in the Olympics in Taekwondo, he's going to be taking on Josh Parisian, arguably a bit of a showcase fight, bearing in mind I'm not the biggest uh, fan of Parisian, don't think he's the most talented fighter on the roster, but Taekwondo background, mm-hmm. you know that there's a big possibility of Parisian taking him down and just holding him there 30-27, and also as well, um, I've got to give a shout-out to this lady. Um, she's a staple of British MMA for a long time, but this will be uh, Joanne Coldwood's final fight. Uh, she called it? Uh, well, Joanne called her Wood. She now goes by Wood. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean like, is she, she calling this? She's, like, a, she yeah, she's announced say. beforehand it's going to be her last fight. And ironically, it's going to be up against Marina Moreauz, who was the first person to beat JoJo, handed her her first pro loss, which I think was on the... I think it was the Zagreb card. It was the Gonzaga Crow Cop 2.
1: Yeah, it was on the, it was the arm bar, I remember. Yeah.
0: So, um, JoJo, always been a big staple of British MMA. Very highly regarded. Arguably, the game started to pass by, but happily married now. Looking forward to a good and healthy retirement.
1: Absolutely. She's great. I'm still kind of thinking about... Well, I, Despanya has to be what his last name is, but... Uh... A heavyweight Taekwondo guy? That sounds really fun. It could be brilliant. It could be brilliant. Like, I think
0: a lot of people thought that Cyril Garm was going to be exposed the moment he fought anyone who was credible because he didn't have the grappling base, and he ended up getting all the way to a title fight.
1: Yeah, you know, he uh, got to a title fight and then blew it. Although I will say, mind you,
0: I think I've worked out part of the reason why he made such a pig's ear of the John Jones fight. Do you want to know who his training partner was?
1: Yeah.
0: Shamil Ghaziv. That, that confirms it. So, we open up the main card in the Bantamweight division, and on paper, this one could be a belter. It is the number four seed, Piotr who who is taking on the number seven seed, Song Yadong. The betting odds for this one, you can get Yan at minus one thirty-five. Song comes in at plus one fifteen. And while the UFC have always been very high on Song Yudong, and this is his first big jump up in quality, I think the big question coming into this fight is how good is P.T. Yan still?
1: I feel like he's still really good. It's just, I mean, he beat the champ. In my opinion, yes. Oh, like, um, I, th- I thought I thought he beat. Uh, I've watched that. I watched that fight multiple times this week. It was, I used to just skip the judges' decision part, but I I thought uh, that fight's close. It's closer than I remember. But Piodryon, I thought, clearly won that fight. I think he's still good. It's just who beats, you know, um, who beats Marab? Like Marab just got done dominating a guy who, if he would have beat Aljo, I would have put. In the GOAT content, I would have put as a top two, top three GOAT, if not just outright number two. And, like, Marab made it look easy. Like, Marab just does that to people. He's going to probably do that to everybody on the way to a title, you know, just outwork you on the feet and then just start throwing you. Um, I think Jan, I think Pyotr Jan is still really good. He still has some of the slickest boxing tricks I've ever seen what he'll do to switch stances and make you miss, make you pay uh, off of his stance switches. And like, I'm always a big fan. Like so the, one of the co uh, headliners in their comment event is the master at it. But I'm always a big fan of a guy who will switch stances mid combination to change up his power hand and catch you off guard. And so Pyotr does that incredibly well. Um, he was trying to get it done against Murad, but it's really hard to do that when you're backing up the entire fight. Um, I, I think he's still the man, I, I, admittingly. I think he's just kind of like, hey, you lost two to Aljo. That's, you know, one of them was, mm, you were winning the fight. I thought he was very clearly winning the first fight. And then the knee, um, he beat Sanhagen, who was, uh, who's you know, in one of the best fights of all time, I think. That fight is so fantastic. Just it just happened to come out, I believe, the same year as no, it didn't. It was that was my fight of the year that year. The year after is Yuri Glover, um, which whew, what a fight that was. But um, Pyotr Yon then he, yeah, then it was the Aljo loss, which you know it's a close fight. I thought Aljo won, but I I know a lot of people thought Piotr won. Then the Sean O'Malley fight, and then the Murat fight. There was just two, was three losses in a row. And only one of those was not close, and that was Mirab, who's just done that to everybody. I, I think he's still awesome. And I
0: think seeing what Mirab did to Cejudo has made, it sort of softened the blow of Piotr Jan's loss. Because mm-hmm. I, do, I do know there's a lot a- of people jumping off that hype train when Jan got dominated the way he did against Mirab. But seeing Mirab do the same thing to Henry
1: Cejudo, it has made people
0: realize, no, Mirab is just that good.
1: Isn't it kind of isn't it kind of interesting that Marab dominated guys like it just dominates guys like that but he couldn't do that to Aldo? He had to just hold Aldo against the cage. He really didn't dominate Aldo in my opinion. Isn't it kind of interesting? Like in hindsight you go, "Huh,
0: makes you realize <laughs> how
1: good Jose Aldo actually was." <laughs> makes you I think Aldo. I I I thought Alderman would have beat Aldo in the fight if they if they ever had it, but now I feel like Aldo's probably like wiping his brow and going dodge that one <laughs> you know i mean um but song you this not this this fight is yeah
0: because so song has a lot of traits in my opinion which i think it could make it especially early on i think it could be very interesting mm. so we'll talk about song in a bit more detail here so he's coming off a win over chris gutierrez back in december uh along with gutierrez other notable wins include ricky simone Marlon Marias, which who we finished in the first round, brutal fashion. Uh, Casey Kenny, who I'm still very high on. And interestingly, it was on Fight Island.
1: Marlon Chito Viva. Oh yeah, that because that was the same night. God, this is how this is how I remember that. I was engaged at the time, so it was a bad period in time for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but, um but I, 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 she made me miss this card. But I remember using the restroom to go and check my phone and, like, look at, like, MMA Junkie, and I saw that, like, people were really upset about Song Yudong, Cheeto Vera, and then they were just as mad about Angela Hill versus, uh, Claudia Gadea, and I watched those fights and I went, wow, the judges got two fights wrong back-to-back, you know, I mean, in fairness, the Cheeto Vera-Song Yudong fight is super close, whereas... The the Angela Hill I thought Angela Hill actually just beat Claudia, but um yeah that's a, I, I forgot about that one, and in the is the only loss in there in that streak uh, yes. Corey Sanhagen, yeah who who does that to everybody in fairness he just torches everybody that for the most part um because that's probably the first big step up was Sanhagen yeah but the Casey Kinney fight was also. A back and forth super close fight because Song not gassed out near the end of the fight if I remember correctly
0: um, what would you say um, are Song's biggest strengths I think a lot of people have sort of uh, sort of penciled him down as sort of like just a just a big power puncher do you think there's more to his
1: game than that absolutely he trains at Team Alpha Male he, I think he's actually the tallest guy there but um, <laughs> he helps tuck in Uriah Faber at night uh, now um <laughs> You said that as I was in mid-drink and I
0: nearly spurted out my tea.
1: <laughs> Apologies. That's so funny to me. Um, yeah. Uh, so- uh, Song Yunong, Now he's got. I think he has actually really good technical hands. He hits hard, but he attacks the body well. I think his kicks are his kicks are good. His kicks feel like a means to an end, though. Like, he's not kicking to inflict damage. He's kicking to open up his hands, which I personally really like, you know. Um, kicking hard is awkward. It's really hard to learn how to kick hard. It's it's because it's not something you naturally do. Everyone grows up throwing punches, and, like, you know, it's really easy just to get the – to teach you the right way. Teaching someone how to kick hard is a little awkward, um, I, even though I'm sure he would kick my leg off. But uh, I think I like that he uses his kicks – to open up his hands. I think that's really cool and really slick way um, to do it. But he's, uh, he's been working on his wrestling, his counter-wrestling um, and his defensive wrestling and his offensive wrestling. Uh, and I, I'd imagine being at Team Alpha Male you have to have a fantastic mm-hmm. guillotine. Because there's we, we talk about the three rules all the time of Team Alpha Male. Uh, number one is you gotta have a guillotine. Number two, you gotta have an overhand right. And number three is F. T. K. Like team <clears> up <throat> team alpha male. Here's Cody Garber on out to back me up on this. Yeah, team alpha male. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, he, he has to have those tools like un- unironically. He has to have those first two tools. Um, and uh, I, 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 so in my brain, I think he, I, I don't, I have seen people say like, Oh, he's just, he's just got a lot of power. And it's like, I, uh, yeah, but he's actually good at landing. Like being like at heavyweight, you can get away with just having power for a while. Um, where Francis made the big leap in was he started being, he went from just Rosenstruck throwing like this to like, actually when he's fighting Steve, just actually turning it over and, you know, landing. Um, and, uh, like At Bantamweight, no, you have to be able to like actually land from day one. You, you can't just get by on that. I'm glad um, you
0: brought up the uh, defensive wrestling because that's one of the things that stood out for me when it came to the Corey Sandhagen fight. I actually think that Song made it quite competitive early on against Sandhagen. Where the issue started yeah. was that Sandhagen started putting on a lot more pressure. Uh, Song's decision-making started to go a little bit awry. And then when Sandhagen started mixing in the wrestling, he started pulling away and eventually
1: led to the Dr. Stoppage. Yeah, because he cut him up when I think early on, I remember it was just a nasty cut. I, I, I want to say it was, he split him with a standing elbow. But yeah, it, it, I mean that's one thing too, is how, I want to see how old he 26. is. 26. I believe. Yikes. So we're yeah, talking 30
0: fights here at 26 years old.
1: So fight years, he's probably, what, like 36, And that is
0: maybe a bit of a concern, because I think people will look at someone's physical age and think, yeah, well, he hasn't reached his prime yet. I fear that we could have a situation with him similar to, like, a barrow, where just the amount of mileage put on his body and he's he's sort of, like, done by the time he's 30. I hope that doesn't happen, because Song is very entertaining. High potential, yes. I think, Um too. It would be interesting to see how Piotr Yarn approaches this fight as well, bearing in mind all the losses. Do you think he maybe might go a bit more grappling heavy with this one to try and exploit some of the weaknesses of Song's game? Just sort of like a a risk averse, I'm not taking any chances, there's a clearer path to victory. And Song, and not Song, but Piotr
1: Yarn showed against Sean O'Malley. He's a pretty underrated grappler. He can be hurt. Uh, That's actually a fair point. I didn't actually consider that because. He in the Sean O'Malley fight, and I believe in the Corey Sandhagen fight, maybe one time in the Sandhagen fight, but in the O'Malley fight for sure, he showed that he is human. Like he can be hurt. You know, you can sting him. You know. Um, well, also uh, John mm. Dodson stung him like really hard. <laughs> but that uh, the cannon of a left hand John Dodson has. But I I I think. I could see him go for the, you know, that's actually a really interesting point. Him going for the wrestling, uh, going for a more grappling-based uh, attack on him, because I, I think when I when I look at these two fight, I, I the, for some reason, it isn't a technical aspect that stands out to me. What stands out to me is the is is of the mental thing for Piotr Jan, I always think cold and calculated, like everything he does. Sometimes he's a little too calculated, sometimes, and it leads to not boring, but he'll he'll kind of slow down his own pace, trying to like look for that opportunity. Whereas like Song Yudong, I feel like the biggest weakness of Song Don is um, he's probably a little immature. That's one reason why I wanted to check his age, was I was like, I wonder how he's gonna mentally mature in the fight game, because sometimes he'll just make some bad decisions, and I don't think that it. Is. A Fight IQ thing I think A maturity thing Because he is 26 Like he's You know um, 26 with 30 fights That's definitely Not a fight IQ thing For me That's more of a a Maturity thing Um, So I think That's interesting Piotr Jan I think more calculated And cold I I, It's Incredibly likely, likely That he just goes This is easily The best path To resistance And just Least resistance And Starts throwing him down
0: I think if Song's going to have a chance to win this one, I think he's going to have to get it done early because we know he has a lot of power and we know especially in the first round that's when that power is most potent. And we've seen with a lot of Piotr Yarn's fights, he's a bit of a slow starter. He'll use the first round to read his opponents and then start coming on strong in the second and the third. Because you look at some of his fights in the past, like Jimmy Rivera, in my opinion, was winning the first round before the knockdown. Uh, yes. Corey Sandhagen won the first round against him. Um, Uriah Faber, who was about 2,000 years old. He won the first round, didn't he? Jan won the first round, but Faber made it
1: competitive. That fight's great, yeah. actually, funny enough. But Yeah, he is 2,000 years old now. <laughs> and he still looks about 10. Yeah, it's because it's he can't grow a beard. <laughs> no one wants to shave. He has to shave that hairy butt crack. <laughs> I just made the preview show a Patreon exclusive with that. <laughs> that. What have I? What have I done? That nair hair removal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which way are you going with this one, Joe? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I was leading Piotr Jan, uh, coming into the preview show. After talking with you and kind of thinking out loud and stuff, I'm still sticking with Piotr Jan. I think he. I think he's gonna survive the first round, and I think just kind of take over. Uh, especially, I, I I also have some cardio concerns with Song Yadong, as well. Um, I'm probably just thinking of the Casey Kenny fight, but uh, I feel like Piotr has the better gas tank, and I could see uh, Song Yadong kind of. I, I could see Song Yadong uh, mit, like blowing his cardio wad. Yeah, I had, to, I had to be careful with the wording there. Yes. Probably, but, yep. We we want to try and keep this PG. Yeah, Simpsons level is what our. Yeah, probably we can get away with.
0: I'm also picking Yarn for this one. I'm going to say it's by a uh, unanimous decision. I can see a competitive first round. I can maybe see Song having some moments in the first, but Yarn pulls away in the second and the third. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Fight number two, and we are going up to the welterweight division, and this is the number four seed Gilbert Burns, who is taking on the number 11 seed Jack Della Maddalena. The betting odds for this one, incredibly close. Jack Della actually comes in as a minus 120 favourite. You can get Gilbert in at plus 100. So, as we're seeing a lot during this card, and especially on the main card itself, prospects versus veterans.
1: Definitely what it feels like, actually. Now that you really look at it, there's definitely a theme here. Yeah. Um, And I think as well, it
0: comes at a time when, in my opinion... I think the welterweight division maybe needs a little bit of blood. Like, a lot of people have been focusing on middleweight and the desperation to try and get new faces at the top of the class. People have sort of overlooked the fact that welterweight's starting to get a little bit stagnant.
1: Yeah, Colby Covington fighting once every five years is kind of frustrating. Especially when you realize, like, he, especially in his last fight, it looked like he blew, you know, he just kind of lost all his prime wasting time talking smack on the corner um in fairness he was going through like legal issues with the whole mosfet all jumping thing so but still um wonder boy's on his way out and like besides besides Balal, leon and shavkat it's looking a little look a little thin at
0: the top and Bilal's 35 as well so his time at the top might be coming to an end soon enough as well yeah, that's very fair. Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about Gilbert Burns in a bit more detail here. A 22-6 and six record. So notable wins on, on there include Jorge Masvidal, Neil Magny, Wonderboy, Tyron Woodley, uh, Damian Meyer, and Gunny Nelson. Also the honorary win by being the first person to really sort of push uh, Hamzat to the brink. It, and in a lot of people's cases, actually win that fight outright. But it's going to be the first time that he's fought since suffering an arm injury up against Bilal Muhammad. So, 37 years old, coming off a long injury, there are some people with legitimate questions over whether Gilbert is going to be that same fighter.
1: Yeah, he looked old in the Muhammad fight. Hmm. I, thought. I thought he looked old. And uh, never in a million years did I, th- if someone told me, yeah, Bilal Muhammad, is going to put on a kickboxing win over Gilbert Burns. What? <laughs> Um but it ha- it happened.
0: And people um, still give Bilal grief for that. He like he didn't go for a single takedown in that entire fight and people still hated him for it. I feel so
1: bad for the guy. I feel bad for him, but I do think it's kinda of funny that in a fight where he chose to stand up and bang, it was still boring. Like I was like, That's funny. That's that's genuinely kinda of funny. Um <laughs> It's like uh Sean Brady. He TKO'd, didn't get a knockdown. It's like that's funny, that's kind of funny to me. Um, <laughs> bad luck, man. Bad luck, Belal. You know, change his name. I got some bad news. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, Gilbert Burns. He looked old in his last fight to me, and which is rough because Gilbert Burns is a blast. He him and all was, uh. It was obviously time for Mosbydol to hang him up, but he did not look old against Mosbydol. He was he looked much younger than Mosbydol in their fight. And obviously the Hamzat fight is fantastic, like both of those dudes just throwing every leather in the world at each other, um, and then him nearly soccer kicking Blil, or not Blil, uh, Hamzat, which I still stand by this. If he would have soccer kicked him there. It would have ended both their careers because no one uh, Gilbert Burns would have been on that Husamar Paul Horace type of type of rep, and Hamzat would not have been the same because they would have to find his head in the crowd and reattach it. Like it would have been horrible. You know,
0: in cartoons, uh, when a robot loses the head and it just starts chattering away on its own, do you think if a smash, that a happened? I
1: smash! I smash! I smash! I smash! A smash! I think it would have. I think. I think in rebroad I think it would have been like that, and then in rebroadcasts right before the kick lands, it would you would have heard, I must go now. My people need me. <laughs> Hamzat Hamza went back to Chechnya. Um <laughs> and got mollycoddled by Kadyrov. <sighs> I uh- <laughs> I think you could tell we're not Hamzat fans here. So I like I like it I like him as a fighter. I do not like the person. I love if it's like, hey Hamzat's gonna fight. And he's gonna fight actually on a decent schedule, dude. Sign me up. But he's gonna talk the entire time. Like f you know. Like I don't want to watch this. Like come on, just like la- I like watching him fight. He's, um, he's inter- he's entertaining in the fight, you know. But, oh, like do don't, don't like him as a person. We do
0: like Gilbert though. So oh, what shit, are Gilbert's biggest strengths? Because I think the. The perception of Gilbert as a fighter has changed depending on when you come into the sport because I think there's a lot of people now who just know him as this big, stocky power brawler. But this guy is one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners
1: to compete in the UFC. Yeah, ever in the UFC. Uh, When he fought Damian Maya, I thought that fight was going to be like, all right, who's the real one? You know, kind of thing. But then Gilbert Burns just left-hooked him and was like, oh, never mind. Um, but, uh, Gilbert Burns is an incredible grappler. Like, Damian Maya made a name for himself because he was grappling dudes like Gabriel Gonzaga and winning when he himself was, like, 190 pounds, soaking wet. And here's Gonzaga walking around, like, at 270, like, in, like, in Abu Dhabi, you know? And this dude's not just, like, out-grappling him. He's just straight up beating him, you know? So... That's kind of where Damian Maia got his name from. And Gilbert Burns kind of got his name from just winning at his division constantly, like multiple-time world champ, um, if I remember correctly, and just stellar on the ground uh, with a pretty good offensive wrestling game if he has to use it. Uh, But obviously, as you kind of said, you know, or as you straight up said, everyone kind of remembers him for that power he's got because – Ever since he jumped to, like, at lightweight, he had power, but no one talked about it. Uh, At welterweight, everyone talks about that, like, that cannon he has for each hand.
0: And I'd argue he was one of the biggest sort of beneficiaries of the sort of lockdown either, because Hmm. after the move to 170, obviously a lot of fights started falling through, and the UFC was sort of patching together these fight cards to make things happen. Gilbert seemed to be the only person who was saying, hey, you know what? I'll I'll step in. Yeah. I'll take advantage of this opportunity. And he blitzed up the rankings. Cause I think he was I think he just entered the rankings when lockdown happened. He stepped in to fight Damien Meyer on short notice, won that fight, and then stepped in on short notice again to fight Tyron Woodley. So within two fights, he was in contention for the belt. And in my personal opinion, bit of a hot take here. I think if him versus Usman happened at USC 251, he didn't have to pull out the fight, I think he would have won that fight. I think those extra six months Usman had working with Whitman brought his striking up to such a level, he was able to beat him.
1: Probably, honestly. That's a great point. I mean, that's another thing too. We've talked about how Walter Waits the diva division, you know, and Gilbert Burns, we've also said, is like the one guy who's like, no, nah, I don't care. I'll fight that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like he's always kind of had that attitude and it really helped in COVID and it really helps still now because he's just like, no one wants to fight JDM. I'll do it. Why not?
0: Yeah. Um, one big weakness of Gilbert's game though, is he does have an issue with jabs and straights. And that yeah. brings us on to one of the guys who, in my opinion, is the best of them. Jack Della Maddalena, 16 and two record. His last fight came against Kevin Holland at Noche UFC. Along with Holland, other notable wins during this run include uh, Randy Brown, Danny Roberts, and Ramzan Amiv, who I think that was, I think he was the first person to stop Ameev in like eight years. So maybe Amiv isn't the most exciting fighter in the world, but that's a big um, feather in his cap. Uh, he lost his first two fights and has been unbeaten since,
1: just running through them all. Yep. With- the same with just outboxing everybody.
0: <laughs> like I think, I think that's one thing that has really changed in mixed martial arts recently is we are seeing great pure boxers starting to come to the forefront now.
1: It's nice. I'm a big boxing fan, so uh, I I love it as like an art form in a sense, uh, and so it's really nice seeing it. You know, people who are able to make that style work in MMA, because for a while, it was like, yo, I'm a, I'm a great boxer. Low, one low kick later, never mind. Oh, I got taken down, you know. So it's nice seeing a guy like this just really rise through. Yep. Is there more to his game than his boxing, though? He actually has a decent, like, little submission game. Like, he can grapple if he has to. Um, except, Randy Brown, he choked out. He, In fairness, he face-planted Randy Brown first, and then choked him out. Yeah. But, um... He's still, like, you know, he he's definitely not just, like, a one-note pony. He understands, like, the game. Um, if I remember right, uh, was it – I forget I had to say his name here. I had to pull it up because I forgot it. But uh, Basil Hafez? Basil Hafez. Basil Hafez. Uh, almost got him. Really hurt his hype, you know? um. Up until the end, I thought. Yeah, uh, I went
0: back and I rewatched the fight because I did see a lot of people who. Some people were making that argument. half Hafez won that fight. I went mm-hmm. back and I rewatched it, and I just gave it to um, Jack Della. Yeah, but it was
1: a lot closer than the fight like that should have been. Shouldn't have been that close. That's because I, I remember I rewatched it for the for the Noche UFC, and because I was like, oh hey, like Kevin Hans and, J- and JDM. I gotta watch this fight. But, yeah, that fight was way too close than it should have been. Yeah. Just... Um, that said, this is a huge step up. And I'm... I mean, if you like knockouts, this guy... This guy's has 11 of them in 16 wins. You know, he's mostly known for KOing people. And he's going up against a guy in Gilbert who...
0: I think there were some question marks about Gilbert's durability beforehand, especially when he was a lightweight. Yeah. Uh, But again, he was dehydrating himself so much to get down to a weight that, in my opinion, wasn't natural to him. I think that his durability has improved a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is going to be interesting to see whether Jack does have the power to try and crack Gilbert, especially at uh, 37 years old. Are we looking at striker versus Grappler here? Is this simply going to be a case of, can Jack do as much damage as he can before Gilbert gets a takedown? Uh,
1: I don't, I don't, I personally don't think so. I think, I think more, I think Gilbert, it, Gilbert's kind of wild, you know? Like, Gilbert's like, hey, you know, uh, like he tried standing up with Wonderboy for a little bit. Wonder Wonderboy hit him and was like, oh, never mind, hold on. But um, I could see Gilbert, like, maybe hitting his shoulder hitting contact and going, okay, maybe I can get a little closer to landing. And he gets kind of lulled into that boxing rhythm against JDM. Um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily see it as a flat striker versus grappler matchup. Cause I, like Gilbert can do both and he's confident in both. Um, so I don't necessarily see him just being like, okay, I have to come in there and take him down. Uh, I think I could see him striking with JDM for a little bit and hopefully for him, not getting lulled into like the the pure boxing match because that's that is not where gilbert wants to be i but am, jdm is not going to win on the ground if so no. <laughs> and
0: that's the big concern i do have about jdm you brought up the basil hafez fight and even though i think that jdm <laughs> did enough to win that the big issue i had coming out of that fight was his decision making in the grappling because this guy was like like jumping for guillotines and he was putting himself in dangerous positions when he didn't need to. And you got away with that against uh, Short Notice Hafez. You're not going to get away with that against Gilbert Burns.
1: Yeah. It's, a, it's like kind of similar to what I was saying with Song and Dong. It's a maturity thing, I think. Yeah. You know? You kind of you get so used to just getting that finish. You just do something, just hoping you can get it. Keep up your momentum. Yeah. And that's not what... Uh, what he needs to do. Was the Kevin Holland fight closer than you remember too. I scored it for Jack Della, but it was a split decision. Same here. I scored it on the rewatch, but I remember that fight being closer to. And, or I remember that fight being a little bit more JDM favorite. It was a lot closer on this rewatch than I remembered it being. But a good fight though. Yeah. <laughs> like, really good fight though. Um, if this was a prime Gilbert Burns, I'd be leaning
0: towards him. I think that the grappling yeah. would be a massive X-factor. And I think Jack Della would sort of be a bit drowned by what Gilbert could do on the ground. With that being said, a long layoff for an injury, 37 years old. I think we're looking at Jack Della breaking into the top five and picking him unanimous decision.
1: Same here. Exact same reason. It's been the big thing is, man, Gilbert looked so old against Bilal Muhammad. I don't know if that's just a Bilal Muhammad thing because all his fights feel like they're underwater. <laughs> I mean,. By the way, I want to stress, I've been giving him Gilbert, uh, a Bilal Muhammad a lot of crap. I think he should have been the 300 main event. Yeah, because... He more than
0: earned it, yeah. in my mind. M- mainly because, as we've seen with UFC 301, like, they basically had to ramshackle 301 to give UFC 300 a main event because they were that scared about Leon versus Bilal headlining, and I think that's so sad.
1: That's imagine being the clear number number one contender and the UFC is so worried about you on a business standpoint that they don't want you to get a title shot like they're acting like this guy comes in and he you act you're acting like this guy's breaking into the UFC vault and handing out money like like he's actively losing you guys money every time he fights like that's I don't understand.
0: And it's so risky to do that as well because there's, like, the UFC have got, like, the lawsuit going on right now, like, anti-competitive measures. Yeah. And, like, one of those guys was John Fitch. Like, Bilal is getting the John Fitch treatment right now at a time when the company need to be seen to be impartial and not having favorites. It's, um,
1: it, it's disappointing. It's so disappointing in my opinion. My thing that kind of blows my mind is, what if Bilal Muhammad says, fine, I don't care, I'm, I'm leaving. Like, doesn't re-up his contract because of this treatment never gets the title shot all that so he dips out and he goes over to like bellator and loses it's like dude because he's old He's, he's getting older and him just sitting on the sidelines is just you know increasing the chances of him losing his next fight because of age it's like oh great the guy who was the clear number one contender just lost to AJ McKee in a weird catchweight fight. I couldn't think of. You couldn't think of. Uh, Jason Jackson. Oh yeah, that's the guy right now, right? Like he lost to J. Jay- Josh Koscheck came back <laughs> and-, and Bellator and knocked out Bloom Muhammad. Like uh, Asada Watt came back. <laughs> you know, um, Dave Rickles. Um, uh, you do realize you're just listing all the MVPs of Poirier. I Well, Josh Koscheck wasn't on there, Yeah, but Dave Rickles was. Because yes. I used to like Dave Rickles back in like, the old, lightweight Bjorn Rebny tournament days. It's a good thing you mentioned MVP
0: there, because he is the subject of our third fight. Um, he's going to be making his UFC debut up against the number 13 seed, Kevin Holland. Holland comes into this one a minus 120 favorite. You can get MVP at plus 100. So, Joe... There are going to be a lot of people watching this show right now who aren't sort of big MMA super fans. They like they'll only watch the UFC, probably watch the main card, but not really sort of like get into sort of intangibles outside of that. So there's a lot of people that won't know who Michael Venom Page is. Sell us on him. Like, why are people so excited to see this guy in the UFC? Oh,
1: I I got it. I think. Like, have you you know in this current day and age where You know, or TikTok, all the trends there. You want, maybe you want a fighter who is an incredible flashy striker that is always making pop culture references like throwing a pokeball at a guy or, oh, he's got Thanos' Infinity Gauntlet, oh. You know, he will put on incredibly looking KOs while being, making a complete fool of himself and being a giant meme. Um. And the best part about it is, like, from a promoter standpoint, if you want him to be exciting and get fans to like like this guy, you don't have you only have to pay him because you just got to give the trash guy. And not Danny local, Devito. Yeah, not the trash man. You got to get a local, uh, just get a local guy who hasn't fought in five years and an absolute can to fight Michael Page, because. He's only KO'd guys that have uh, Wikipedia pages. <laughs> or are no Wikipedia pages.
0: I do have some of the notable wins that MVP did have in Bellator. We'll see if uh, yep. any of these ring true for you. Uh, Gotti Yamiuchi was his last win, which came uh, 12 months ago at Bellator 292. Uh, okay. We also got Douglas Lima, Derek Anderson, Shinzo Asai, uh, Paul Daly, which was a stinker of a fight. I know there was a lot of people in the British media excited for that one, and it stunk up the joint. Uh, Caveman Vickles, as you mentioned, and mm. the fight that arguably put him on the global stage, really made people sit up, was his flying knee against uh, Cyborg
1: Santos. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had a huge streak jo- joining Bellator all the way, and they never gave him a title shot. For some reason, it was really weird. And the reason why was because they knew they were giving him like guys who were past it. Or guys who were, you know, trashmen. But all that said, he is incredibly flashy. Like he puts on some of the flashiest kicks ever. He's jumping like he, when he jumps up in the air for a flying knee, he is and super high off the ground. He could probably flying knee at the top of the cage, you know, um, and he hit he has he has a lot of power he's very quick he he comes from um the same style of karate as uh as raymond daniels yes the kickboxer. It, it's very wonder boy-esque as well yeah like very he comes from uh like the very almost taekwondo style of karate like very flashy very cool like uh He'll throw, like, a tornado kick. Like, everyone has probably seen the viral knockout he has of where he fights some guy who's built just like me and where he throws a tornado kick, knocks the guy out, and the guy, like, kind of just, like, f- keeps, like, flying and stumbling over himself, and he's just staring straight after the kick. He's, he's very arrogant in cage because he wants you to mess up, you know, kind of, uh, like, he fights a lot, like, annoyed Anderson Silva probably a good way to describe it because Anderson Silva if you didn't do what he wanted you're annoying him because now he has to lead so he now he's playing the mandolin and he's kind of dancing and like just goofing off he fights like that a lot because he's he tries to be as flashy as he can um, and it put him on the receiving end of one of my favorite knockouts of all time
0: yeah which was uh, Douglas Lima because a lot of people forget obviously because of the knockout a lot of people forget. I personally thought Paige won the first round. Mm. Um, but, great moment. So, uh, MVP's using his karate style stance. He's bouncing on his tiptoes. He sort of like dives in, like stretched out. I think he's thrown like a left hand. Lima times mm. that, knocks his legs from under him. And as MVP stund- stumbles, then comes the upper court and finishes him off.
1: It is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous KO. Yeah, I've seen people do like, like uh, the Marvel Thor's hammer. Like yeah, that, like where all these like little special effects they've added to it. It's pretty funny. Um, but MVP though, uh, it's he's. You would think as a guy they're pushing as like the next prospect and major signing by the UFC that they wouldn't get a guy his age. You, kind of...
0: you think they should be putting MVP in sort of like veteran versus veteran matches? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think as well, do you think the UFC may be overestimating MVP star power? Because I actually ran a poll on the Twitter page a couple of days ago. And I was asking over the last, say, five or six years, who is the biggest signing out of these four to be signed to the UFC from a major promotion? And I've got the poll here. So 45% of people said Michael Chandler. Forty three percent Ben Askren, MVP seven percent, Kayla Harrison five.
1: Chandler so Chandler was the biggest one. In the eyes of the ben public. In the eyes me. of the
0: public, they fought yeah. Chandler.
1: Ben Askren was for me, but I think Chandler would be my number two. Kayla Harrison would be my three, and Venom Page is my four. Um mostly because I know Venom Page. Like I I know MVPs, like shtick at this point. You know what I mean? Like, a, like incredibly flashy, flashy stuff. He looks great against people who haven't fought in five years. You know?
0: um, that's um, not going to be a problem, though, with one of the most active fighters in the UFC. Kevin Holland back in action once again. This must be like the 20th, 30th time or something like that he's fought since signing for the promotion. Um, his last fight, as I mentioned before, came against Jack della and Maddalena, a very close match at U- Noche UFC. I actually think that Kevin Holland is a pretty good choice for MVP's debut. Because you need that kind of litmus test to see how good this guy is at the sort of new stage of his career. And Absolutely. And as we know, Kevin Holland on his day could be one of the most entertaining welterweights on the roster. So in Phoebe,
1: there should be a real chance that this turns into a barnstormer. I I struggle to think of the last time I saw him in a bad fight like well, okay, that's not true. Uh, I remember the Brunson Vittori fights when he was at middleweight but he's so exciting and he brings it. He makes it a dog fight with against everybody except Homsot, who just like took him down, darst him, whatever. but against everybody else, he makes it a dogfight. And, like, because what it was, it was Chiesa and Ponzi Nibbio, or was it Ponzi Nibbio first? Uh, it was Ponzi first. Okay, which that broke my heart, but uh, <laughs> um, the Chiesa he darsed, you know, got him in a dars. Uh, I think a lot of that is. I think like people almost also forget that he has he is a legitimate like, black belt in jujitsu under Travis um, Luter. Yeah, the owner a top five head size. <laughs> Tra- no, no, I'm thinking of a. Uh, oh, I'm thinking I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of the wrong guy, not Travis Luter. Travis so Luther, is the Michael Jordan of, M- of BJJ. I wouldn't go that far what about Kobe <laughs> Bryant. I don't know any other basketball players. Uh, um, I was thinking of a uh, Dean Lister. Excuse me, Dean Lister had a massive head. Made sense why he trained with Tito. <laughs> you know it was it was it was spreading that's all i'm saying dean lister is actually dean lister he's like the originator of uh you know how everyone makes the easter island memes for like alex Bejeda? yeah um dean lister is also looks like an easter island head like but he looks like we just picked it up and put it on his shoulders (laughs) big head big headed dean lister but um yeah no kevin hall like he always brings it he can grapple a lot of power if you're not careful he'll put you out um and he can go like he's a fantastic litmus test for mvp here yeah while still being exciting like sometimes you get these like you know guys who are always gonna bring it you know always gonna like go all out to win sometimes they're not that exciting though you know even if they're like a good litmus test kevin holland is perfect for mvp here because that's
0: what the usc are banking on in my opinion because Based on what we've seen with MVP and Bellator, you know that people are going to go out their way to try and take this guy down. Because if you take MVP down, he's got nothing off his back. Kevin Holland, in theory, bearing in mind the Jiu-Jitsu black belt, he should be wanting to take this fight to the mat straight away. But I think the UFC are banking on him to make this a stand-up
1: war. Mm -hmm. Just Kevin Holland doesn't avoid shots. He just kind of blocks him and like moves off of him and just kind of – he's he's kind of – he's easy to hit. He's very, very hittable. That's what made the Wonderboy fight so good because he's really tough. And Wonderboy and him just beat the hell out of each other with Wonderboy cracking him with everything but the kitchen sink. And they probably saw that and went, hey, this guy is not only good, so he is credible. But here's a guy who fights similar to MVP that just lights him up what if MVP does it, like, you know. The one concern
0: I have regarding this fight, I think a lot of people are sort of framing this as it's, it's going to be like a stand-up war. Mm-hmm. I have seen times when MVP can be a little bit, he'll, he'll play it safe if he feels there's a power coming back his way. That's part of the reason why the Paul Daly fight played out the way he did, because we know Paul Daly hits like a truck. And I think MVP was a little bit, mm, I'm not too sure whether I'm going to take too many chances and it turned into a clunker. Do you think there's a chance that could happen?
1: Bearing in mind Kevin uh, Holland
0: also hits hard.
1: It'd be really funny because uh, Kevin Holland would probably... Kevin Holland would probably be telling us how boring the fight is. Because <laughs> Kevin Holland, they should just mic him up at this point. Oh, should just have a, he's amazing. They should just have a, yeah, they should just have a boom mic like above his head. Like the entire time following him. Um... I still think he's just so funny, but I I legitimately could see that. I hope not. I hope the bright lights kind of make him want to do something because I don't think we can stress enough how much of a stinker that Paul Daly fight is. Paul Daly, for the record, also booed one of his own fights <laughs> he was in. And, like, think so, like, why do you want to watch this? This is shit turn it off, turn it off. Like, it's so funny. It's so funny to me. Um, (laughs) um, Paul Daly booed one of his own fights, and somehow I would rather watch the John Fitch fight than that MVP fight again. Like, just straight up with Paul Daly. Um, So I could see it. I could see that fight. I, I could see MVP not wanting to do that. And Kevin Holland as he's chasing him, trying to get him to like fight, because Kevin Holland has good offensive footwork, but he's kind of impatient sometimes. Mm-hmm. Gets gets tagged, which would be really sad for me. Um oh, man. I'm kind of curious what you're leaning towards because I feel like
0: I'm leaning towards Kevin Holland. Um okay. I think that on the whole, Kevin Holland has fought better competition. And even though he's lost some of those fights, I mean, he, he had success against Wonderboy. Like, especially early on, I think that it was it was somewhat competitive, and then, of course, Wonderboy started doing Wonderboy things and started pulling away from him in, like, the third or fourth round. Um So that's a concern for me. Um, I also think that MVP's age as well, because he is getting up there. I think once you pass 35, and I know Luke Thomas has kind of turned this into a meme, but... It is a concern. It is the point when you do start to think, "hmm, maybe I do need to err on the side of caution when picking this guy, because there's inevitably going to be a physical decline.
1: Mm. I mean Volk literally did a whole sketch.: Yes, old man Volk about 35, you know
0: I mean, it backfired pretty hard. So if you were a fighter over 35, who ends up winning the belt, you've got to be pretty special, haven't you? Yeah, like, mm. I, I can only think of one person recently who's done that, like, won a belt of 35 under under welterweight. Hmm. I can only think of one guy.
1: Uh, I mean... You know who I'm referring to, don't you? I do know who you're referring <laughs> to. Uh, I'm trying to... I, you know, I, I remember a guy who won a fight, uh, the real greatest ever won a fight uh, at middleweight when he was, like, probably 56 in alien years. <laughs> i don't know I, I i recently got reminded that gsp believes he was abducted uh before the nick Diaz fight i'm like oh that's right that's where that's what is dark that's where my dark place I'm like nick Diaz, you don't want to test me i have seen scarier things than you in my dark my dark place
0: i know you did the uh, retro review when you covered uh, gsp 129 and we got so many comments saying how good your gsp impression
1: was oh, that's great i i I used to practice it because I, I I make I'm I'm pretty open about my my history. I don't I don't partake in the the Nick Diaz Nick and Nate Diaz special anymore, but I used to. And uh, that was like the common thing is like, get Joe to do his uh, GSP impression. It's like stop trying to make me do the Nick Diaz. Like I used <laughs> I used to always do it all the time, and it would annoy people. Um, it's kind of like how Jay. Admitted that he used to just do the like Muhammad Hassan theme song to annoy people. I would do the GSP uh, impression to annoy people.
0: Uh, <laughs> so I am picking Kevin Holland to the, to win this one. Yes. And same here.
1: I think he could stop MVP. I think he's going to. <laughs> I think second round. I think second round he puts him down. Um, I'm not very high on MVP. Uh, I it's it was this is like one of those things like we talk about like you want to be professional you want to kind of um, not just crap on on any professional here because they would kill us but most mostly it's out of respect and you know integrity of us but I, I'm not high, whenever they said they signed MVP I, I legitimately went why what you know um, but hey I've been I've been wrong before I thought Ben Askren was going to come in and just wrestle everyone to death So, you know, I could be incredibly wrong. But I think Kevin Holland puts him down in the second round. So now we move on to our core
0: main event and a very eagerly anticipated fight in the lightweight division. It is the number three seed Dustin Poirier, and he is welcoming the opportunity for Benoit Saint-Denis to break himself into the top five. And interestingly, Saint-Denis enters this fight as a minus 170 favorite. You can get Dustin Poirier in at plus 140. The uh, INC followers, though, uh, we put the poll online, and at the moment, they are still giving Dustin Poirier the benefit of the doubt. 52% of our viewers think that he's going to win this one. You can get Saint-Denis at 48%. So, as we've seen over the past few years, Joe, everybody has been almost sort of like preemptively ushering in the new generation of lightweights. And eventually saying, look, there's going to be a point when... People like the Poiriers, the Geiges of the world, uh, eventually fade. Michael Chandler eventually fade away, and this new wave of fighters is going to take their place. Is this the time it finally happens, or is this another situation where the old guard prevail and
1: push back the prospects? That's what makes I. I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like the thing about this one is I. Th- I Spoiler, I am picking Dustin to win this, but I think it's mostly because there's such a massive jump up in competition. But the story's there. The story, the skill set, the talent is there for a guy like Benoit Saint-Denis to just prove me wrong. And as a Dustin Poirier fan, I kind of want him to. I kind of want that next generation to be here. Did you say prove me wrong because it was Benoit?
0: Oh, Oh, no. What? Who did I say said? Yeah, you said I want him to prove me wrong, and that was always Benoit's catchphrase.
1: Oh, it was. Oh no. Don't 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 no. Um, <laughs> I I am trying my hardest not to make those jokes. Yeah, I, I literally I always have a note that says, "Don't do it, Joe." <laughs>
0: Red, Red Dead jokes are um,
1: okay though. With Denis. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? Sandini. That was Red Dead too, wasn't it? Yes. There's a vampire in Sandini. I remember I remember sitting one night and hunting a serial killer, and it turns out he's a guy who thinks he's a vampire. Um good game. That was a good time. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I, I Benoit Sandini is he he he's young. He has submissions and knockout power. He can take you down, beat you up. He can strike with you. Um, he can kick with you now, as we're now starting to see. He had that head kick over Matt Frivola. Brutal knockout, by the way. Brutal. Great fight, too. I remember like, I remember you and me were talking about, like, this fight's actually really good. Why are people complaining about it on the main card? And it was awesome. Um, That's a scary task for Dustin Poirier. But I'm sure he's kind of used to it at this point. I kind of get that vibe of, like, of... Uh, of like Brad Pitt and *Glorious Bastards where he's like, nah, I've, I've fought tough tough up-and-comers before. I think I'll be all right. You know, I kind of see that from Poirier. I'm, I'm sure he's fine. Yeah.
0: Like, we've seen a lot of the sort of middleweight fighters, not middleweights, we've seen a lot of the lightweight fighters who the UFC have tried to prop up and say they're going to be the stars. Like, Saruki managed to break through, and mm-hmm. personally I think he's going to be Charles Oliveira at UFC 300, but that's a question for another time. But outside of that, yeah. you look at people like uh, Garam, Fizayev, Joel Alvarez, Ismagulov, they never broke through. Do you think there was them having flaws in their game, or do you think the old guard was just a lot better than people
1: expected them to be? I think Fizayev can still break through, but I think, the, I think a lot of it is that old guard is, just is still ready to cling on. Like, it's not quite, not yet kind of thing. I mean, in fairness, there's when I think old guard that just probably aren't losing to these prospects, the two guys I think of are like I mean technically Charles because he's you know been fighting for so long, but uh you know, you have Gaichey and Dustin. And those are the two guys I go, yeah, have fun beating those guys. Those guys are still like the boogeyman of this division when you're coming up. Yeah. Um I mean Sarukian broke through uh, with uh, because he Benny was another one of those guys. I'm like, you gotta get past him too. And uh, poor Benny. Yeah, God. he should have fought for the belt. They they screwed him too, but I blame uh, I blame what's his face uh, um, uh, McMaynard. Should have let me have his job. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Just let me have a shot. Well,
0: they ran but, that matchmaking thing. Like you can be a UFC matchmaker, but I kept telling you, you kept putting, um, you kept kept putting Roman delete in all of these nightmare matchups because you were jealous of him
1: and Cheyenne. I mean, let me have that one. Like I, that's, I I I thought I put together the perfect UFC 300. Like we we had great fights, and in the main event, it's five tigers versus <laughs> Roman Deleta. <laughs> It's, remember like back in the day when they used to do Face the Pain and then like they would have the Gladiator do it? I was trying to hearken us back to that, you know? I, but <laughs> um, We'll talk about
0: Dustin Poirier in a bit more detail here. So a 29-8 record. It's going to be the first time that he fought since losing the BMF title fight up against Justin Gagey. Outside of that, though, I've got a list here of some of his notable wins in his career. Michael Chandler, two wins over Conor McGregor, Dan Hooker, two wins over Max Holloway, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gagey, Anthony Pettis, Jim Miller, and Bobby Green. Now that's a portfolio of wins. That's a resume. Wow. I actually saw a poll, because I'm I'm listening to a lot of and Florian these days, and they ran a poll on who they thought was the best UFC fighter to never win the belt. And I think Dustin Poirier came up there as like number one or number two. Wow.
1: I was surprised Kenny wasn't like, "Come on, yeah." Oh, Kenny got a lot of thoughts as well. Good, because he he actually deserves it. He was incredible. Um, I guess they're not counting interim belts. Uh, no, no, they're not. Yeah, see, I I would put Dustin up there then. I I would if we're not counting interim belts, which I think is just kind of a person to person preference. Then I would put Dustin up yeah. there. Hendo as well. Put... <sighs> I know well, you count I, the Tony yeah, win, Tony yeah. win, but. Yeah, no one really does except yeah. me. So, uh, Hindo would have to be number one then. You call Carlos Condit too. Jeez, oh man, you know, sadly John Fitch you gotta talk about just for the winning streak. Yeah, like because there was an era where it was like, wow, you're clearly the number one guy. What are you gonna do against GSP? Oh, oh, never mind. Like, you know, um, shows you how good GSP was.
0: Yes. Um, so, why do you think that Dustin Poirier has stood the test of time? Because I think there has been a real transformation, especially going from featherweight to lightweight, in terms of the way he approaches fights these days. Because a lot of people forget this, but Dustin Poirier came into the UFC primarily as a grappler. And in this yeah. day and age, it's his boxing, and in particular, his defensive striking, which, in my opinion, has led to a lot of his success.
1: Yeah, he he's one of those weird guys who does the Philly Shell in MMA. I love the Philly shell in boxing, in MMA. I'm not a hundred and ten percent sold on it, mostly because of things like kicks, uh, head kicks being the biggest weakness. Which, as we mm. saw in the the Gaethje fight, which which I still think you and me were correct in saying that like that fight was on its way to being as good as the first one until it ended, like which is sad. Like you're sad you get to see a highlight like that, but. Um, Herb Dean did Macho Man him though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Herb Dean's so weird. Yeah, time to retire, bud. But um, get yeah, Dustin. Dustin will will do the Philly shell. And I I will never forget Max Holloway telling his corner going, I don't know, he's blocking weird because he's just hitting bone over and over when he's trying to attack him with like straights and combinations. Like he's just hitting shoulder or elbow or fist whenever he's like just rolling on him and then would counter. Um, It gave Connor a lot of problems, who is, as much as I crap on him, who is a good striker. Um, And he started adding, like everyone goes, oh, he started adding kicks to his game. He's not the best kicker, but he can kick, you know? Where he's really going to put you away is he has unbelievable defensive boxing that opens up a lot of shots for him. Uh, in particular as I was kind of mentioning with Piotr Jan, um, what he'll do is he'll often attack with his cuz I think he's a right-handed southpaw. So he'll attack with like a with a, uh, a rear straight hand left, that's and kind of throw another shot as he steps in and then switch to orthodox and then throw a hard just full power right hand and kind of makes it kind of mixes you up. You go Whoa, hold on! How was I? What, what, I came from his power side. I thought his power side was his left. It's kind of a interesting little trick. And uh, in that infamous clip of him dropping, allegedly dropping Colby Covington, that's the shot he does it with is uh, the switch right hand. You know, because I mean, even like Rashad Evans tried doing it, but he never did it as well. Um, he's he's a slick trickster because he came in as like a uh like a grappler like you said but then he was like oh hey i hit hard i'm gonna be a brawler and then when he went to lightweight he got rid of his buzz cut went to went to the salon got nice and cleaned up you know tommy hilfiger model looking and then shows up as a technician and it's been amazing at lightweight for him what a
0: run uh big things to stand out for me on both sides of this, I think that Poirier's work against the fence, I think, is especially very good because if he gets backed up there, that's when you see a lot of his great defense, in my opinion, because the one that sticks in my mind for me was uh, Michael Chandler did have some success against Dustin Poirier, and Chandler was doing these big things, sort of teeing off on him, but how many of those shots managed to connect with Dustin Poirier? I don't think all that many. And then, nearly, and then near the end of the round... Here comes the counter-strike. Chandler goes down. Poirier nearly finishes the fight, which a lot of people may have thought Chandler was winning that first round because of the activity. And then, of course, Dustin lands that big right hand and nearly finishes him off. And then on the other side of things, um, everybody will have seen the finishing sequence of the second McGregor fight. But the moment that Dustin catches Connor with that big left hand, you can see Connor stumble back. A bit mm-hmm. like Felder starts going, Wow! God, he realizes Connor's hurt. And then Dustin's shot selection from that point on, every shot he throws, absolutely pinpoint perfect shot for the perfect moment, and it ends up dropping him. Because mm. you people forget as well, you actually see Connor in desperation trying to go for a takedown, and he actually times him in an uppercut and that's what drops him.
1: Yeah. Cause you, whenever the right hand that hits him, is like a lead uppercut and it's perfect timing. And that's when you have like a meme of him falling back. Yeah. You know, it, uh, I mean, cause Connor, Connor had success in the yes. first round then like all the, all the low kicks are adding up. Now the spring in his step is gone. You know, Connor doesn't have the best cardio. So that's also going to weigh in on it. And now here's, um, now it's time for Dustin to kind of let his hands go. Like, now I'm ready to fight. And it just starts lighting him up. And um, he does – He he. I feel like that's an American top team thing too because he isn't afraid of getting taken down because he'll just wall walk against the cage. Like, that's – all those American top team guys are really good at getting off their back using the cage. And Dustin has kind of taken that and, like you were saying, almost turned it into a way for him to lull you – into that false sense where he can blast you. So I like that.
0: The sort of cage craft, though, can be a weakness, though, when you have somebody who's wanting to take you down. And that brings us on to Benoit Saint-Denis, who is a very, very good grappler. So we'll talk about oh, yeah. him in a bit more detail here. A 13-1 record. His last fight came at UFC 295 when he head-kicked Matt Favola. Other wins in the UFC include Thiago Moises, Ishmael Bonfine uh, Gabriel Miranda and um, Nicholas Stoltz so maybe not the highest profile names outside of Frivola and maybe to an extent Moises 4 KOs 9 submissions he has never gone the distance in a victory his only loss came as a welterweight which was a short notice UFC debut against Zaleski Dos Santos
1: in a crazy fight
0: yeah and one of the worst referees of all
1: time yeah because, because shouldn't it, they've stopped it for Zaleski?
0: Yeah, well, Zaleski was remember, Zaleski was teeing, teeing off. off on him, and it was clear mm-hmm. that BSD had nothing left. But the referee, yeah. for whatever reason, just kept it going. And I think it was later found out that he had like a history of stopping
1: fights incredibly late. Because I remember thinking at the time, I was like, "Wow, this guy's never going to be the same again." And now look at him. Yeah. So I mean. It's so. I guess it worked out, but still, way too. It was really bad. Yeah. Do you think that
0: what happened against um, Zaleski? Do you think that maybe is a cause for concern when looking at BSD? Because I was looking at some of his stats, and this guy absorbs, I think five to six shots in um, in a round. Not no, fa- no, five to six shots a minute, which yeah. is way higher than the lo- average at lightweight.
1: Yeah, you would expect a guy who's like a super prospect at lightweight to be not be hit very much, uh, but no, he he tanks everything, like, like he just takes it, and it's it's alarming, you know. Uh, he's really tough, but you have to wonder how long does that last, you know? Yeah, uh, it's kind of rough to it's kind of it's kind of alarming, especially because he's twenty seven, I believe. I think so. Yeah, he hasn't entered his uh, physical prime yet. Yeah, and he's taken a lot. He's 28. He just turned 28. He's a year younger than me. I hate him. <laughs> um, yeah, I hate him. Uh, now I'm definitely rooting for. But uh, he's uh, he takes a lot of shots. Real tough kid. Or not tough kid. I'm with Dana White now. It's <laughs> going he's, he's a t- he's a really tough guy. He. But man, that's a lot. I didn't know the number was like that. Because I I feel like he's very hittable, but I didn't know the number was like that. Um, In fairness, though, it's the same sort of number that Gagey
0: was taking in when he first came into the UFC. mm -hmm.
1: But of course, Gagey had to sort of change and adapt
0: his game once he started. Like he had the fight with Eddie Alvarez and the first fight with Dustin. And there was changes to his striking and his defense after that fight. I think he recognized, hey, if I do want to be among the elites, I need to be more defensively minded.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah. funny. That's actually kind of an interesting parallel there because Dustin Poirier is the one who made him go, all right, maybe I actually need to be good at like not, maybe, you know, work on my defense. And here's a guy like Benoit Saint-Denis who has a similar number to that. Yeah. Going against Dustin Poirier.
0: I think the fight for me, it's going to be one in the grappling, because Mm -hmm. I see Saint-Denis going a bit more grappling heavy for this one, because a lot of people forget, they've seen the knockouts of Favola, and they've seen the work he does with his hands, but the guy does have a strong grappling base, and that's been an area, in my opinion, where Dustin Poirier has had problems recently. Uh, We saw that when he fought Khabib, we saw that when he fought um, Charles Oliveira for the belt. Um, Chandler a little bit. Chandler a little bit. He does have a tendency at times to give up his back. And I think Saint-Denis is going to try and exploit
1: that. I I can see it. I I wonder if... uh, This is a joke. But Dustin Poirier, I always remember what he said after the Habib fight. And uh, I wonder if that's something he plans on implementing in this fight. He said that if he fought Habib again, he's going in with a pistol. (laughs) You know... (laughs) That's a real quote from him. And I go, I love Poirier like that. That's, but that's also frightening. A guy like Poirier saying that about Avib. Yep. So money to your, money where your mouth is. Who's going to win this one? I got Poirier personally. I, I think Poirier, I think this is just too big of a step up. Um, I think a, 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 more, a fun fight as well would be like, I mean, Fizaya is probably out cause of the injury. But Benoit saint denis Fazayev was like something I thought probably makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I just thought about this. This irks me. Crazy to think that they didn't, like, Matouj Gamron is on the prelims and this is the co In terms of excitement, this deserves it. But that just irked me. Yeah. Matouj Gamron is, is on the prelims. I, I don't know about that. Garmat and saint would have been a good matchmaking. That would I, I was kind of thinking about that. I was like, well, I, I still feel like that's too high up of a jump.
0: What about but, uh, Saint-Denis and uh, Jalen Turner?
1: Oh, I would love it. Dan Hooker. Yeah. yeah actually, Dan Hooker, unironically. Um, or you know what? While we're at it, Benoit Saint-Denis, Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
0: want Volk to have as long of a break as he possibly can until he's 100% ready to come back. I don't want that immediate rematch as a Volk fan. No, but uh, I think they, uh, I think they sort of box themselves in though. I think it's something that's going to have to happen because the UFC, like knowing the way the UFC works now, they're not going to want Evloev to fight for that belt. Yeah, no. and, and they have
1: Max at one fifty five next. Yeah,
0: so I think they box themselves in. I can see Volk headlining either November or December.
1: It's scary because Teporia turned out to be that unicorn. Yeah. Um,
0: For me, going back to this fight, unless Dustin Poirier has fallen off a cliff post-Gagey, and there is a possibility that that could happen, because sometimes a knockout like that does change fighters, I think he's going to have enough to turn back Saint-Denis. I do have a bit of a bold prediction, though. And it's one I I dread saying this one, but if Saint-Denis was to win, Dustin Poirier, 34 years old, He's reached the summit.
1: I can see him walking away if he loses. I can see it too. I, I definitely can see it. But here's something I just thought about. This five rounds. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't. Because I, yeah. that was the whole controversy as for, you know, remember was Dana White announced the fight before they even signed it and they woke up the morning going, I don't remember signing anything, but I guess I'm fighting him. You know, um, and that was the thing was they announced it as a five rounder. I'm just gonna Google it right now. So yeah, I, I want to know. Cause if it's five rounds, then definitely I'm leaning towards Poirier more. You got a guy like a crazy finisher like Benoit Saint Denis. I trust Poirier in the championship in the in the four, four, and five.
0: I just, um, I am just talking about this. The the joys of live broadcasting that we haven't prepared all this. Um, We script
1: that. We script everything. We script this. Yeah. um, It was really awkward.
0: Yeah. According to this, um, Poirier pushed for five rounds when the fight was booked. So it just remains to be seen whether or not um, the UFC agreed with him.
1: If it's five rounds, then definitely Poirier. I think that's smart matchmaking. Or smart On Poirier's part because you get this guy who's only been to decision and in his one decision fight he nearly was Like put down pretty hard if just if it wasn't for bad refereeing he would have been finished Um, You kind of have to question the gas tank of these crazy finishers like this So poirier wanting a fourth and fifth that makes sense to me. That's slick from poirier
0: main event time now And it's the bantamweight title which is on the line. Sean O'Malley makes the first offence of his belt. And he'll be doing so against a familiar four. Marlon Chito Viva, number five seed. And the only guy to beat Sean O'Malley in his career so far. So, O'Malley comes in at a minus 220 favourite. You can get Viva in at plus 180. And the INC fans feel the same way. Sean O'Malley is winning our poll to predict the winner. With 69% to Viva's 31 so, as mentioned before, this fight is a rematch from UFC 252, which was a core main event. I think it was Stipe versus DC, uh, the Three. third fight between the two, Yeah. Uh, that headlined that fight card. Of course, Cheetah Viva won that one, partly because Sean O'Malley ended, get, ended up getting himself injured, damaging his leg, and Viva finishing the fight with ground and pound. So, we're going to put this to you, Joe. Is Marlon Cheeto Viva worthy of this title fight? Or is this the UFC pulling a Hulk Hogan in WCW and he is his ultimate warrior?
1: Um, well, I only have one thing to say about this is I would say Horace O'Malley's is the key to all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Horace O'Malley is the key to all this. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely just the ultimate warrior. Like one warrior nation run this back. I'm, you know, like we got to protect our star that doesn't draw us any money kind of thing. Um, definitely what it feels like, because Cheeto Vera, his last loss was to Corey Sanhagen, which was which I which I believe was like a fight ago. Uh, He's on a one fight winning streak, right? Yeah, Pedro Munoz. Yeah, because, and then the fight before that was Corey Sanhagen smoking him. That split decision is a lie. That judge didn't watch the fight. There's no way. Like it's very clear, <laughs> Corey Sanhagen won everyone makes fun of that scorecard If <clears throat> at the time everyone made fun of it um, but like Corey, there's Corey Sanhagen there's Mirab, and who are just waiting ready to go and then Sean O'Malley's like no nah, I'm gonna fight Cheeto why like it makes no sense it feels uh,
0: as if Sean knows that he's in trouble if he fights a grappler
1: I think he's, I think Sean doesn't want anything to do with those other two guys. Because they know what, I think, I think it's pretty clear what would happen. Yeah. Because he was pushing for the, to fight
0: Topovia. And then he sort of like went back on himself once I think he realized just how good Topovia
1: was. Yeah. That's a, that's a, we've seen that a lot with that Topovia guy, don't we? What happened to the, the Patty the Batty? You know, what happened to him? Maybe he'll, maybe we can give him Topovia still. Yeah. And I think Ooh, okay. the,
0: the other issue with this fight as well is, look, I want to stress as well, I like Marlon Chito Viva, and I think yeah, he way. is a very good fighter who's worthy of his place in the top, top five, top six of this weight class. Absolutely. Yeah, but bearing in mind how Sean won the belt, and bearing in mind some of the limitations of Cheeto, I don't think we're watching the two best bantamweights in the world. Like, honestly, the two best bantamweights in the world fought last year in front of like 2,000 people in Vegas. And that's Marab and Jan.
1: I think th- is it, you would put Jan at number two, best in the world?
0: Yeah, well, uh, bearing in mind, I'm. Al Joe's now with Featherweight, so I'm taking him out the equation. But mm, yeah, I think it's Marab fair. one and
1: Jan two. <clears throat> I think it's Marab and Sanhagen. But in fairness to me, big bias when it comes to these Trevor Whitman guys. I'm a huge Corey Sanhagen fan. Yeah. So there's that but it's we i think i know i think well everyone on the planet agrees morob's the best pants weight in the world um i think everyone except sean o'malley and uh himself in the mirror probably the only two people i can think of yeah. another another one warrior nation for you to reference uh, as it's as it's cheeto and cheeto in the mirror you know and his bischoff
0: yeah. beside him saying what the hell are you looking at you
1: yeah, know what are you what's going on i'm just ready for the fireball we were both predicting <laughs> come out brothers <laughs> That's my favorite episode of that of OSW I, I got to be honest um, so uh, we'll, but...
0: we'll, we'll talk about Sean O'Malley here so 17 and 1 record I knew you were trying to put it off Joe So a 17 and <laughs> 1 record so of course he won the belt in his last time out up against Aljamee mm. Sterling outside of the all Joe win uh, his other notable wins include Piotr Jan, which is a very debatable win. And then you take those two away, his third-best win in his career, and Paiva.
1: Oh, yeah. You, did you know that they made him ranked right before that fight? Yes. Diago Moises style? They Diago Moises at 155, who, who was unranked and going to fight in the main event against Islam... And then, like the week before, he suddenly shows up with a with a number beside his name, and they did that with Huli and, and Piva.
0: Yeah, and I think that fight was only main event because they didn't want to take a chance on um, Misha in a comeback
1: headlining. Yeah, yeah, that was the main event. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. And in hindsight, yes. Yeah. Well, it's that I means obviously
0: markachev has gone on to do great things there. So absolutely <laughs> worked out well. So I still feel like. There are a lot of positives to the game of Sean O'Malley, and we'll get into those in a lot more detail, but part of the reason why I think there's negativity against him is this feeling that he gets a little bit of preferential treatment, and that there's some glaring holes in his game, which the UFC have tried to ignore through uh, favourable matchmaking.
1: I feel like a lot of it is we've we've seen the song and dance before, you know? We've we've seen we've seen this before, and the first time a lot of people were okay with it, because with because the first time first guy I think of is Connor. Yeah, Connor came in. Huge gaping holes in his game, loud mouth, exciting. If you give him the right people in front of him, like Dennis Seaver, poor Dennis Seaver, and the poor um,
0: guy became a meme for that.
1: And Dennis know, Seaver it, was a good fighter. It, 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 actually good actually a lot of fun uh, he's he was. He, i might put him in my boy stable admittingly dennis siever he was up there for me he was a lot of fun but you know uh it's just like i think with sean o'malley we see them doing the same things they did with connor it's like don't give him a wrestler give him old people that he can ko like and then they happened to give him Cheeto, and it just went Fuck, barreling down, you know. And, and admittingly, though, Sean O'Malley wasn't taken down by Aljo. Like, Aljo kind of struggled to take him down, but Aljo was trying to strike with him too, which is weird. Yeah, and this was an Aljo
0: as well that came off uh, going 25 minutes with Henry Cejudo like four months earlier. Yeah,
1: it's true. He's probably worn out still. <laughs> um yeah, because I remember Aljo just trying to, like, tie, tie him up and then – but punch his way in with his eyes closed. And I was like, why? Don't do this, please. This is how my nightmare happens. And it did. Um, but I feel like a lot of it, though, as you we were saying, is, like, we've seen this song and dance, so we all are kind of, like, ugh, kind of out on this where, we're like, it's kind of like the UFC – like, instead of the UFC putting out a new album, they put out their greatest hits again. And then some people are happy to listen to the greatest hits again, but it's like, ah, oh, we have that, we've we've listened to that album before, come on. <laughs> I think the the obvious one for me
0: was, because um, I know that, I think it was 264, they tried booking, I think it might have been the muñios fight, first time around at 264. He had to pull out, and there was one guy with like a big grappling bass who was saying, like, I desperately want this fight. And um, they went it? and brought in Chris Moutinho from the regionals, who should have been nowhere near an octagon. Yeah,
1: that's, and he still couldn't. He still couldn't put him out. No, crazy. Hey, here's another reason too that you can say, like, hey, like, if someone ever says Sean O'Malley never got favorable matchmaking, just show them the Pedro Munoz fight and then the aftermath of it. Pedro Munoz was, in my opinion, stomping yes. on Sean O'Malley. He low kicked him to oblivion. Sean O'Malley. I I I don't. I think he just legitimately eye-poked him because he was struggling. I think he legitimately just did it. Uh, to be fair, I don't know. I wasn't in his head. And as we've established, I'm not a fan of him. So I'm more inclined and biased to think negatively. I think he would do a negative thing like that to kind of justify my dislike of him, you know, in that sense. Um, but regardless, Pedro Munoz was... That's Sean O'Malley following uh, you up now. A gulp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's he knows really you're watching. Funny, that's a really funny timing. That's actually really funny timing. Um, but, uh, like, a shot, Pedro Munoz was lighting him up with the low kicks. And then, you know, fights thrown out because of a Sean O'Malley foul, regardless if it was intentional or not. It was Sean O'Malley that initiated the foul that caused the fight to no longer be able to go and if you look at the, the course of the fight Sean O'Malley was the one in trouble because of all the low kicks he damage he was taking he was losing the fight Sean O'Malley got Piotr Yan next when Pedro Munoz was like got stuck fighting Cheeto like how do you fail upwards like it was very obvious yeah especially
0: yeah. when Normally, when there's an inconclusive ending to a fight, normally
1: they run it back straight away. hmm And they were like, no, we don't want that. We don't want to put Sean O'Malley anywhere near that mess. Yeah. Uh, good thing you mentioned there
0: about O'Malley's issues with low kicks, because I think the kicking game of Cheeto Vera is one of his biggest strengths. So we'll talk about him in a bit more detail here. 23, 8-1 record. His last fight came in that win over Pedro Munoz himself, a great low kicker as you mentioned. As well as that, uh, notable names include Dominic Cruz, Rob Font, Frankie Edgar, Davy Grant and of course Sean O'Malley. So on the whole, a lot of these bigger wins admittedly coming against guys maybe past their prime a little bit. Do you think Cheeto is arguably in a bit of a false position because he happened to beat guys by fighting them at the right
1: time? that's actually an interesting point because that's kind of uh, a lot of people's gripe against Sean O'Malley is remember Sean O'Malley was bragging about his KO over Eddie Wineland like he you know like it meant something still
0: in 2013
1: maybe you know yeah and because Eddie Wineland was one of my favorites too so him came Eddie Wineland it was like oh that's frustrating but um like he was bragging about that KO and that kind of wrote people the wrong way whereas Cheeto's they weren't quite at that level of washed, but he was still KOing guys and people were still going crazy over it. You know, the, the dominant crew, in fairness, the dominant crews looked really good in that fight up until the kick. Um, I think I, he kind of is kind of put into it because I would say Cheeto's resume is easily for sure better than Sean O'Malley's. But, but when you kind of put a microscope to it, it's not as not, – it's just slightly better. So you watched the first fight, as I did, uh,
0: in preparation for this. It's about 4 mi- what, four minutes and 20 seconds long, something like that. So it's, it's near the end of the first round that Cheeto finishes in. What were your big takeaways about that fight? A lot of people bring up, obviously, the low kick. Was there anything beforehand that
1: makes you have an idea of how this one could potentially go? It's kind of funny because it, it's very indicative of how Cheeto has fought uh, since this fight as well he's very patient in that O'Malley fight he just he just kind of goes with the flow and waits looks for that opening and then hits you and then it's really funny because the one shot he landed it hurt Sean O'Malley which I think we both have talked about this if you land a strike that causes an injury I, I think the credit has to go to the person who caused it there it's one thing if you're stepping side to side and you roll your ankle. I think that happened to Jamie Varner against James Krause, where Jamie Varner broke his ankle uh, on like just stepping weird. But this is like Cheeto Vera kicking the leg and causing an injury, which I think that's credit to Cheeto Vera. The biggest comparison um,
0: for me is uh, Chandler
1: versus Primus. Oh, yeah. That's just weird. That one's weird, isn't it? Because... He throws a kick and then steps and lands and it's like, oh, no, that's, that was Fazayev in Gamron where he hurt himself that yes. way. Yes.
0: But uh, if I remember correctly, Primus actually threw the low kick at Chandler and the way that Chandler sort of checked it, he ended up like damaging some of the nerves and he was getting like
1: drop foot. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause I remember that. I remember the image of him stumbling back and like still falling. That's rough. That's rough. Um,
0: and that great sort of Bellator uh, moment when Chandler sort of like gets up from his stool to sort of like G up the crowd and in the time that he's up on the air they pull the stool away so he tries sitting back down and ends up going flat on his arse, his arse.
1: <laughs> I thought, uh, I was thinking of uh, Jimmy Crute who I, I, I do enjoy boy, super bro, boy worthy Jimmy Crute trying to get the crowd pumped up against Anthony Smith and then stumbles back and hurts his leg again Because his leg went numb from the cap kicks as well. We have got to do 261 as a retro review. Have to. It's a great great card. Yeah. I mean, I I will say this. Back on Cheeto Vera, there is one thing I always associate with Cheeto Vera. You know, and uh, I feel like you're prepping the laugh. I don't don't see what could be funny about this. (laughs) Um, Cheeto Vera, I think of one thing with him. Uh, and it's the truth. Uh, you you called it blunt force trauma. Yeah. Uh, on, excuse me. Well, I have to be honest, when I think of blunt force
0: trauma, oh. normally it's uh, Dada five thousand in the in the promo. Oh,
1: That's oh blunt force trauma. Uh, I just I, I try to forget that fight.
0: The <sighs> most watched fight in Bellator history is Kimbo versus Dada.
1: You know what that means to me? Those two are bigger stars than Sean <laughs> Bud. Whew, got him. Got him. Still got it. But, but I, I'd say, God, this fight is so weird. I love how good this card is. And then you get to this fight, and you and you can just see UFC matchmaking scumbaggery. And you go, oh, come on. <laughs> Um, but it's still a very good fight. I think this fight will be entertaining for sure. And it's just, it sucks that it's for a belt. There are a couple of X factors
0: for me, which I am intrigued to see. Uh, the first one is we've seen Cheeto Viva go five rounds before in winning and losing efforts. And more often than not, he seems to get stronger as the fight goes on. Going mm-hmm. up against Sean O'Malley, who's never had to go five rounds yet. Like the Aljo fight was booked for five. Obviously he finished it earlier than that so that's something that I'm interested in plus as well if Sean if Sean O'Malley is going to want to finish Cheeto Weber he's going to have to stop a guy who has never been finished who was like notorious for how tough and how durable he is and Sean O'Malley himself has a reputation for being brittle
1: yeah Sean O'Malley's made a glass it feels like his body at least because you know there was the the Andre uh, Sukmantar wasn't even going to try <laughs> uh uh he had the injury there and then he had the injury against cheeto um so it's kind of given a made of glass kind of reputation and i can't remember cheeto vera even getting knocked down in a fight much less like i don't know and he the thing about cheeto vera is he will intentionally slow play you he'll intentionally just kind of be a little slow when it comes to attacking and trying to go at you and then randomly just strike with like a bomb out of nowhere and it's and then like Rob Font is beating him for 40% or for probably 70% of that fight and then Rob Font is sent flying across the cage with a strike and it's like well I guess Cheeto wins this round <laughs> like it's a weird fight um he tried doing that against Corey Sanhig And Sanhagen just went nope and threw him and beat him up. But it's very odd. So put your
0: money where your mouth is, Joe. Which way are you going with this one?
1: Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Chito Vera. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually like unironically. I not just because I wanted to do an LA night impression. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going with Cheeto Vera be I I just feel like I feel like I'm still not impressed enough by Sean O'Malley and I think Cheeto Vera is still just not a great matchup for him it's kind of hard to deal with a guy who is just pure power and incredibly durable and Sean O'Malley wants to fight guys who I feel like he wants to fight guys that are willing to strike with him but he can put away like like Algernon sterling is chinny. yeah he always had a little bit of chin issue i i think he kind of wants that and because if he struggles to put a guy away what what does he have you know peter Jan kind of showed up, showed us that cheeto vera is going to be really hard to put away and he and we've seen him go five rounds he definitely has the cardio for it
0: i think it's going to be a close fight i think it's going to be a three rounds two match I'm not sure which way it's going to go. I can honestly see a situation where I could see Sean O'Malley winning a decision, but people making the argument that Cheeto won. It's going to be one of those kind of fights for me. So I'm I'm sort of sitting on the fence for this one. I know that's not really what we should be doing on this show, but Fair. I'm going to sit on the fence. I think it's going to be a close fight with a controversial judge's decision.
1: I have a question then. In your scenario, do they rebook that fight, or do they go with Gamera, or do they don't go with any of them because they know what's gonna happen.
0: I think there's too much momentum behind Marab for them to say no okay because the the argument you make with them pushing back Bilal and not wanting to give him a title fight is because Bilal doesn't have like the fan backing him there's still a lot of people mm-hmm. that call him boring. I think Marab's won people over and even the casual fans who normally hate wrestlers are even saying no. We want him to get that fight, so I think the winner of
1: this one will fight Mirab. So you're saying there's like a yes movement to an extent. Yeah, admittingly, like that's that's the only thing I can like think of. I, I smiled when I thought of that, but that's kind of what it feels like, actually. Huh? Yeah, um,
0: I do remember though. You've got to back the right horse when it does this sort of thing, because um, I think I was like the only person campaigning for Carla Sparta to get the title shot over Willie. Really. <laughs> And then, of course, Uh-oh. it ends up happening with Rose versus Carl. It's, like, one of the worst fights of all time.
1: That's my personal hell, is uh, having to watch that fight again. I really hope that never gets... I'm not I'm not even going to talk about it, because I don't want to will it into existence by accident. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> Um, So, on that
0: cheery note, we will try and wrap things up here. This has been the UFC 299 Preview Show. Thank you so much for having the patience of listening to me and Joe crack jokes and talk about nonsense for like the past two hours. Before we leave, though, we do need to do a little bit of spring cleaning. We do have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. For just $1 a month, you will get access to a Patreon exclusive series, INC on Cage. We just did a recent episode where we asked uh, some viewer questions. Uh, you will also get access to all the videos which have been blocked by YouTube, including a video that nearly got us taken off altogether. Thank you so much for that one, Chartry. And also as well, you'll get the opportunity to request any retro review, any fight card for Joe to cover as part of his retro review series. Speaking of which, normally we put it to the public, for a Patreon, for a retro review that you want Joe to cover. So Joe, it's March, it's Women's History Month. What are we covering? And more
1: specifically, why? I believe we're covering uh, the UFC main card where it was all heavyweights, correct? No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Um, No, we we actually were going to do an Invicta card. This is something that, uh, all jokes aside, me and Carl are big fans of women's MMA we're always like pushing for it and like advocating for it. Uh, in on uncaged yesterday, we just, I, we just kind of gushed over how much we like women's MMA, uh, when talking about a, p- a potential atom weight, but we decided to go with Invicta because there's a lot of great memories of it. It was super cool. I, I actually really like the promotion a lot and our choices were, I actually have the choices in front <laughs> for of once, choice. For once. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, so we have uh, Invicta 1, Invicta 5, which is my personal pick. But uh, Invicta 13 and Invicta 21. Now, I, I wanted Invicta 5 because that has my favorite women's fight of all time. Um, but Invicta 1 is the champion, the winner. I, I, didn't, I almost stumbled there. Invicta 1 one, But uh, yeah, Invicta 1 is, the, uh, is what we're going with. You got... Um, you know, Marlos Kunin, who was a Strikeforce champion in the main event. Uh, it's kind of like the first time we get to see it and kind of, you know, it's always interesting seeing um, the first time, like the first event a promotion does. Uh, and it's kind of funny for me because I kind of talk about how it's like, well, they're doing a better job than the first UFC did. <laughs> i got to be honest. And it was a a
0: landslide victory as well. 51% of the vote for Invicta 1. Uh, It was also 20% for Invicta 5, 18% for uh, 13, and just 10% of people picked Invicta 21.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was really pushing hard for 5. I was uh, was really going for
0: it, but it is what it is. It's how it is. So Joe will be recording the raw cut, and I'll be splicing that all together, so it should be out at some point this month. And, of course, April... It's going to be UFC 300, so we thought we would celebrate another landmark show that happened in the UFC's history. So, no poll for this one. Me and Joe both agreed this is the unanimous choice between ourselves for what we should be covering. Joe, which legendary event will we be covering to celebrate the landmark occasion?
1: We get to to have uh, a landmark occasion. Uh, It's got horseshoes, Coors Light, Bud Light, you know, most you know, a Coors Light because Bud Light doesn't pay us anything. Um, and it even has the greatest of all time being told to hit a man with his groin. That is UFC
0: 100. Which uh, we are really looking forward to covering because that is, not only is
1: it a historic card, but it's also it's very good. entertaining as well. Yeah. People forget like how good that card is. I think people, I feel like it's either overrated or underrated depending on who you ask and how they talk about it. But there is a couple fights on there that are just memories, you know, like iconic moments. And the best fight on that card is not one you would expect. (laughs) And it's fantastic. I I love stuff. And
0: it's also one of the few times that we're going to be seeing Brock Lesnar on our TV screens recently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So enjoy that aspect. Yes. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe, we'll get to do Kane and Brock soon. Maybe so, yes. Uh, maybe there's a, <laughs>
0: a topic that's coming up uh, in just a few months' time where that might be worth uh, discussing. Uh, but if there is a card specifically that you want Joe to cover, then for just $1 a month, you can recommend anything within reason, and Joe will get his hands on it and uh, give it the uh, INC treatment, which is usually of a very high standard. Uh, For now, though, this has been the UFC 299 Preview Show. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neil. We'll be back in four weeks' time as we do our preview of a landmark occasion, UFC 300, just around the corner. This is the INC. Thank you so much for watching.